Good morning. Welcome to the show. And um, hope everybody had a great, great week. Um, lots going on, but I'm going to get all, to all that later on. I want to talk to you about this young lady that I've mentioned on this show before. And her name is Camille A. Brown. And I like to I like to leave the A in there, y'all, because, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of Camilles and I know a lot of Browns, but you don't know uh, Camille A. Brown like I know her. <laughs> and, but when this show, by the time the show is over, you will. And uh, y'all, I want to introduce you to her because she is, well, I don't even, there, there's a lot of words that you can use for it, but phenomenal, outstanding, amazing, awesome, all, all those kind of words. Um, and you would not be wrong by using them. Y'all have heard a lot about this opera at the Met in New York called Fire Shut Up In My Bones. And we mentioned it on the show before, Fire Shut Up In My Bones, which I told you before is uh, about the memoirs of Charles Blow, who is a popular journalist. And listen, y'all, it got into his life growing up and uh, the things that made him the man he is today, the impressive man he is. But he went through some struggles. And the opera beautifully, beautifully um, takes you through his journey. And I wanted to introduce you to, well, the woman that was responsible for the choreography. Um, she's a first in many ways, particularly when you start talking about the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, we'll get into all that. But Camille, welcome to the show. How you doing? Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great now. And uh, I'm so glad to have you on the show to talk about this opera and then to talk about you some. Um, you were an incredibly important part of this creative team uh, around uh, Fire Shut Up In My Bones, uh, particularly performed at the Metropolitan Opera, a co-director of the first black directed, directed opera ever at the Met. What did that moment feel like to break such an incredible barrier at such, uh, well, such a famous venue? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me on the show. It's an honor to speak with you. Um, and it was definitely an honor to be a part of that show. Terrence Blanchard was the first Black composer to have his work done at the Metropolitan Opera, and it had been over 100 years. Uh, so... It was really um, a tremendous feeling to be a part of it. And on the other side of that, it makes, you know, being a first in 2021 uh, still feels strange. Really strange. And, um, you know, I kind of had that uh, experience when I did Porgy and Bess a couple of years ago and I was the choreographer and the last uh, person, the last black female to choreograph at the Metropolitan Opera was Carmen DeLavalade, and that was in the 90s. 
Um, so it had been at least two decades since another black woman had uh, choreographed there. Um, so I already felt um, coming back into it and then realizing I, di I didn't even realize that I was the first black director there. Um, wow. Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it felt, just, and who would have thought it, it, right? I mean, we're, we are in 2021, yeah. right? I mean, right. So I I get yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the, and there's a lot on that, and you know, just gratitude to Catherine Dunham and Carmen Delavalade and all of the black females that um, have paved the way for for me to have the opportunity to 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 be there. So um, it was it was a tremendous feeling, but it's it's also a lot to carry too, uh, because you feel like. You are not only doing this for yourself, but you're doing this for 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 black girls, for black people, for for it, it, it's bigger than you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I I knew about you before I knew about you because Black Enterprise did an incredible um, story about you and, you oh, know, yeah. and the milestone that you're that you're breaking here in 2021. Um, so, I mean, that was impressive in, it, in and of itself. And it was circulating all throughout social media because it, it, it is such an incredible milestone. Take, take us you. to how you became a part of this project and, and walk us through that process. How does that work? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a real quick walk. Um, <laughs> so I, was, I wasn't a part of the 2019 version that they did in St. Louis. Uh, so I was asked to come on board for the Metropolitan Opera, and um, that's that's pretty much how it was. Uh, wow. James Robinson, who who was my co who is my co-director, uh, asked me to be on board, and you know I connected with uh, Terrence and also Casey Lemons, who is the librettist, and uh, you know. I, as I said, I wasn't a part of the 2019 version and they had been a team, I think, for at least five years working on the show. So I had a lot of catching up to do. Um, so reading the book and just getting an understanding of like what the production was in 2019 and just trying to figure out how do how do I enter the space as um as a woman, as a as a black person, like what is as a black woman, like what what is my contribution going to be to to this space? So it was a lot of figuring out, and I mean, it was supposed to come around uh, before before COVID, and um, COVID did a, obviously did a lot of things for for a lot of people um, in both positive and, and negative ways. Uh, but one one thing that it did do was provide some time for me to really sit and figure out how I could contribute to this work because that's all yeah that's all we had was time. So, that's right. Um, yeah. So uh, so I really um, focused on that and some other projects that had been on hold because of the pandemic. Um, but it was really exciting to come back into the space and feeling more prepared than I probably would have been had, had, had we would have just continued to go forward. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people didn't know a part of what you just said that this, this was, it was being done in St. Louis in 2019. Um, is when you think about 
you know, what made them come to you. Uh, was there anything they said about what they knew you brought to the table when they were going to the pinnacle, uh, which a lot of people consider the Met to be? Was there something about, you know, your your credentials, your your reputation, the, the work you did in Porgy and Bess or, you know, the work you uh, were doing in evidence? I mean, is there something that, that they said to you when they called and say, we want you for this project? I don't know. It's really hard to answer those questions because, I I mean, I just get weirded out <laughs> a, a little bit about, like, um, you know, I do this and this is what I bring. You know, it's very it's very hard for me to, to say that, you know. Um, I just know that uh, James and I had a really great working relationship on uh, Porgy and Beth, and we were just interested in, he was interested in uh, bringing me on board for for this show. It's, it's kind of hard for me to say what I contribute to a show, because I, I, I think I should just focus on being myself and not yeah. that. <laughs> no, I get that. And, and, and to tell you, I was glad I got to see the show, because um, you know, I read the book as well, and and I enjoyed the book, um, and I learned a lot from the book. And but you know what was powerful about it? The I mean, the dancers were incredible, and what they were, I mean, they were speaking to what was not just being um, what what was being said or sung. <laughs> it, what they yeah. were. They were really speaking to some because you can't put everything from the book in it, but right. But there were things that the dancers were doing that, as a person who read the book, I thought. I, I mean, it, it took me to parts of the book that you you that you guys didn't actually, you know, articulate. But the dancers did the other piece of it. Is that what choreographing a show like this is? Is that the goal? Yeah, I mean, I love telling stories through movement, and um, it's the it's the way that I communicate. It's the it's the safest space, um, safest uh, form for me to communicate, and I think that's what choreography does. It tells a story. Um, it continues the story. Um, you know, I as a performer think of it, people always ask me who my favorite dancer is or who who do I as a performer look up to and I always say Ella Fitzgerald and uh, people are shocked because obviously she's a singer but you know I think it's all about your your instrument and how expansive she is and her range and you know I just try to apply that to what does my body as an instrument do and the dancers are a voice and they are adding their voices to the story. And one of the things that attracted me to the show was the fact that I could have the ability to create something like a step dance and then on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, create a more modern contemporary dance. And I thought it was a great, um, a great way to show versatility uh, and there's I, I, I don't I don't know of any opera that has like a step dance in it and and as soon as they were <laughs> as soon as James was telling me about yeah. oh there's a step section I was just like what there's a step section um y'all so shocked everybody I mean I yeah I, I, I mean it was and by the way it got like 10 minutes of applause <laughs> I mean <laughs> I, it was it was unbelievable and 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 you're just not used to seeing that in an opera. 
You just aren't. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to... I know step is, is not done to, like, instruments. I mean, the body is the instrument. And so I was thinking of it, just how Terrence is a, a composer, I was thinking of it musically, like, okay, if you take these bodies that are instruments, how do you compose a rhythmical score um, that continues to progress and progress as it goes on? So I, I had a really great time um, putting putting that together and uh, working with the dancers on it. Wow. Uh, listeners, if you're just tuning in, we are talking to Camille A. Brown. And you might know a Camille, you might know some Browns, but this is Camille <laughs> A. Brown of the Camille A. Brown Dancers. And we are talking about this very, very popular opera that you've been hearing about, Fire Shut Up in My Bones, uh, about the memoirs of uh, Charles Blow. And uh, I, I just, Camille, I can't applaud you enough about the work because of what it made me feel by sitting in the audience and I, I do want people to know a little bit about you uh, because this isn't your this isn't the beginning of you this isn't the end of you this was a credit to all the work that you have done uh, in the past and as I said you know you um, you started your own company uh, you danced with Ronald K. Brown and evidence for five seasons um, yeah, five seasons. That's that. that <laughs> <laughs> in today's time, that's pretty amazing. Uh, tell us for the little girls that may be listening out there. Tell us, you know, what compelled you to start your own company? Yeah, you know, I honestly never wanted to have my own company. Uh, I was so scared because, as as you said, I used to dance with uh, Ronald K. Brown Evidence, and I would see couple of things I would see how hard he worked um it wasn't just about the performing he was performing with us but he was the choreographer he was you know we would on our times off we would go back to the hotel or go to dinner and he had a meeting or he had an interview like it just seemed like there was um so much that he had to do and I was thinking to myself wow that's a lot of work I don't know if I personally have the stamina to do that and then also, I would see how moved people were by uh, Ron's work uh, and being inside of the work, I can feel how moving it was. And then to see an audience respond to his work after going on tour around the world was just amazing. And I didn't know if I was capable of creating work that can make people feel anything. So I was very much against having my own company um <laughs> wow. and that was mostly wow. out of fear yeah and it wasn't until i started uh choreographing on other companies and realizing that i wanted a more intimate uh space with them because normally when you're choreographing uh for commission commissions on other companies maybe you'll get a week maybe you'll get three weeks um but i i just wanted uh, more time with dancers and to really figure out what my process was and and through and through doing commissions with other companies, I realized that wow, actually, what I am looking for is a company and people that I can create a safe space with and develop and work with over time to figure out what my voice truly is. Well, I, that's interesting. That I mean, that's why I really I, I asked the question because you know 
you were a dan- you're a dancer and it doesn't not all dancers go out and create their own company and uh, and you and you have and it's doing great so I wanted people to hear you know the difference between the two and what what sort of led you down that road and thank you no oh, I'm and, and and we're so proud of you <laughs> I mean thank and, you and I just wonder you know as I look back at performing arts in general and we talk about it being 2021 and we talk about the first with Terrence Blanchard the first with you as it relates to the Met do you think uh, as a byproduct of impact from the from this opera do you think it moves the it moves things forward as it relates to giving um, black artists a chance? I hope so. Um, and obviously I asked, a, to... I, I asked the question because of what we started out talking about, right? I mean, we're in 2021 and these things are the first and that's good. I think it started, I mean, I, it couldn't have started more powerful than what you guys did. But I wonder as a person who was in it and engaged, if if you think uh, or if you feel like, you know what, we did a good thing and little black boys and little black girls are going to get more of an opportunity because this worked. Yes. And I also feel like I hope little um, black girls and boys um, feel that they can see themselves, that they can see themselves. Uh, you know, I I was just thinking about how I never, as you, as you said, you know, you, you have a company and how I never wanted to have a company, but I was not necessarily conditioned to think that I could have a company. I was, I was conditioned to dance for other people. Um, and I, I never uh, thought that I would be capable of doing my own, my own work under my own name uh and a lot of times when i was growing up as a student uh the people and i didn't realize this until i started choreographing myself was that as a student sometimes the people that uh uh uh, certain teachers would encourage you to look at their work or you know um, audition for them one day they were all men um so yeah and and that's and shocking the, in the arts the, in particular right but 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 i get it well yeah i mean it's it's shocking but then it's not um because it i think that there's there's something about um fields being male dominated anyway and so um it 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 was it it was hard and um the black female choreographers didn't get as much exposure as other choreographers um so for me to be in the position that i am now i just never i just never would have thought that it would be possible for me to be a choreographer at the met to um to be a black director at the met i I just never saw that coming you know because as because as it said before the last a uh, black female choreographer at the Met was um, Kat Carmen Delavalade, and I was a teenager. And I'm wow. I'm going to be 42 in two weeks. Wow! So, See, I didn't tell nobody. Know, 
Well, Y'all, she looked she looked twenty five. I'm just telling you. <laughs> yeah, people think I'm twenty, so I don't have a problem saying I'm going to be forty two. But you know, I just I just hope that uh, the, the people seeing it at the Met, children, young children, young black children, can see them can see possibilities. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, I can I can do that and I can do more. Yeah. Well, you know, you talked about COVID a little bit earlier, and we we all saw how it hit Broadway in such an intense way. I mean, you got um, really busy um, with, you know, children of color um, and and choreographers of color during the pandemic as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. uh, So, of course, everything stopped and shut down. And um, everyone asked me... uh, you know, what did you do? And I said it was a, it was an opportunity for me to kind of take a break, but I couldn't do it for very long because I have a company and I feel very responsible to my staff and my dancers. So, um, and I also felt like it was an important time to reach out to the community and figure out the ways that we could keep moving. Even though we, we were kind of isolated, how can we continue to move our bodies and to and to feel good and to feel feel the space around us? So uh, before the pandemic, I, I had an initiative called Everybody Move, and it's pretty much everybody moving, everybody in the space. Um, and so we just tried to expand that and figure out ways that we can connect. So we had sessions over Zoom, and um, it was also a great opportunity for me to... Um, provide platforms for other scholars uh, to talk about uh, intellectually what it means to dance because I think sometimes uh, there's a misconception that uh, people are just dancing and there's no concept, there's no, but there's actually uh, a history to a lot of what we're doing, especially connected to the Black experience. So I wanted to continue to elevate those experiences and and to um, continue to educate people along with continuing to educate myself during that time too. So uh, we use uh, Everybody Move as a platform to engage um, the community. Wow. Listen, that's just amazing. And, you know, I've held you up a long time, but I want to ask you something because, (laughs) you, you know, you work with the likes of John Legend, um, you work with Viola Davis and Denzel. Uh, I mean, you worked with some really, really big stars. Uh, what's it like working with people like that? Do you get do you get nervous, starstruck? What What is it like for somebody who has a job to do uh, when you're working with like complete? I mean, just people who are the top of their craft. I mean, you said it. It's like all those feelings come in to play, but you got a job to do. Mm. And you got to remember that. So, yes, of course, there's excitement and, you know, you, 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 you see people and their work and they're tremendous and it's, a, and, and it's um, phenomenal and exceptional. And then you have an opportunity to be in the space with, the, with those people. Um, but you have a job to do and you have to, you have to remember that. So I, so I always focus on like, what is the work, you know, showing, showing gratitude for the people that they are, but also remembering that like, we're like, like you said, I I have, I have a job to do and, and just being committed to making sure that I can do the best that I can when I'm in that, when, when I am given an opportunity to be in, in rooms with those, um, kinds of people to, to make sure that I can do the best that I can. 
Wow. Well, listen, I'm so proud of you and I can't Thank wait you. for your next project. I know you, you're making a, a, a directorial debut um, with the new project coming out for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Is that what it's called? Yes, correct. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about all these things that you're doing. And y'all, she is not just brilliantly talented, as I'm sure you guys are Googling, and I'm sure you're going to, you, you're looking at her website and all that while we're talking. Uh, but she's smart too, because you hire good people. Le- My friend Lisa Goldberg is, is you know, the best. So you, yes. you actually, <laughs> so you're not just, yes, you're not just talented and beautiful and, and can dance. Uh, you're very, very smart. And I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, you may know a Camille. You may know somebody last name Brown, but this is Camille <laughs> A. Brown. Camille A. Brown of Camille A. Brown and, and Dancers. And we're so proud of you. Thank you and Mr. Blanchard and all those involved in putting that amazing opera on. And folks, if you haven't seen it, um, I'm sure you can Google it now. Um, but fire shut up in my bones. Um, it's the real deal. And it'll open your eyes to some important issues. Uh, well, in every community. Camille, thank you, my friend. Uh, listeners. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back with a Pittman point right after this. You're listening to the Sean Pittman Show. Welcome back to the show. And uh, this week, y'all, Florida lost a pioneer. Uh, Congresswoman Carrie Pittman Meek passed away at her home in Miami. Uh, and yes, I said it, Carrie Pittman Meek, because she is from the Pittmans uh, in Tallahassee and in North Florida. And uh, I know y'all been asking me, people like, y'all are related? I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But uh, she will certainly, certainly be missed. And uh, all of us are sad to see her go. Uh, but we're forever grateful for her great a great and incredible impact uh, here in the state of Florida and in the United States of America. Uh, she was the granddaughter of a slave uh, on a Georgia plantation and a daughter of a sharecropper. Uh, Congresswoman Meek showed all black Floridians, all Floridians, that uh, we could achieve greatness and make a difference for all our families and our communities. Born right here in Tallahassee, y'all, her huge mark on the capital city is not hard to find. On the campus of our beloved Florida A&M University, uh, we find the Meek Eaton Black Archives honoring one of the most impactful alumni uh, in its decorated history. In Congress, Congresswoman Meek was a member of the Influential Appropriations Committee and worked to secure over $100 million in aid to rebuild Dade County, y'all, as it recovered from the devastating uh, impacts of Hurricane Andrew. Y'all remember that? Huge storm, still one of the biggest in the country. Uh, a consummate leader and servant, the late Congresswoman will be sorely missed uh, by all Floridians, but especially by black Floridians who looked up to her as a beacon of possibility. She left us her son, Kendrick Meek, who followed her footsteps, served in the House of Representatives in her seat, served uh, in the Senate uh, uh, Florida Senate in her seat and then followed her to Congress in her seat. So we uh, pray for Kendrick and the entire family uh, who are getting through this very, very tough time. And I got to tell you, I met 
Congresswoman Pittman Meek um, back long ago when she was a senator. And I went to her office and I asked her if she'd be willing to write a letter of recommendation for me uh, for a gubernatorial appointment to the Florida Board of Regents. And she sat down and she said, well, you're a Pittman, so you're my likely my cousin. So I'm happy to write a letter for you. And uh, we then had years of conversations about our family origins and and all and we always found some commonality. So to my cousin, uh, Congresswoman Carrie Pittman Meek, you will be sorely missed. Rest well, cousin. This is the Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you in seven.